right, here we are with Godbound, a Viking Epistle, Season 2, Episode 12. It is April 2019, and I guess we don't have to do intros because this is an actual episode, so I'm Devin. Nicole. Tyler. Peter. Mark. All right, gang. So uh, this is the episode where we talk about the last two seasons of Evicting Epistle. Just kind of do a, you know, kind of a decompress. I think we're all kind of at the conclusion of this game. Yep. So um, just to kind of throw stuff out there, uh, Evicting Epistle was based off of like a kind of remnants of a campaign setting from way back in the day when I used to play D&D with these people. And it was this whole thing. I think we talked about this in the intro a bit. Uh, so we ran through this setting with these kind of references and these ideas that elaborate on and kind of used in different ways and saw how the setting changed based on the players interacting with it. I think we saw a lot of changes happening between season one and two, um, yep. and a lot of different kind of goals and ideas put into play. Yeah. Uh, so, but that was kind of it. So yeah, Peter. So as I understand, uh, the episode is pretty much a layered setting where the campaigns tend to layer on one another and eventually remix and so on and so on so as we see a lot of echoes from your past games here reflected i suppose yeah essentially like yeah. basically a uh, victim epistle was this game called epic evil where um everyone would get together in 3.0 D, &D build 20th level characters and they were they were all kind of like evil overlords so they all had like an evil plan they had an evil goal like destroy the world crush the sun make a million dollars and then a, a plan to get that goal <clears throat> to be fair i don't think the premises was that you had to be evil. No, okay. It's just, you had to be big and everyone skewed okay. evil. <laughs> Revisionists, as the games went on, <laughs> said it wasn't about being evil, but that was the pitch every single fucking time that it was like, you're a big evil overlord, and someone would usually play a token good character. And then because some people started to think they were better than the game, when future ones happened, they'd be revisionists and say, no, it's about being big and epic. You don't have to be evil. That's not, that's too simplistic. But it was a bunch of fucking guys in university trying to rock out with their cock out in D&D 3.0 at 20 level. And shockingly enough, even back then, they figured out wizard supremacy is the winner. Because <laughs> D&D is a not great for balance. Yeah. So how it worked was each game took place in the setting, the, the epistle, the epic <coughs> setting. And in between each game, like once it ended, about 3,000 years would go by, the world would change, the map would update and people would introduce ideas and stuff and build new characters and do another one. Um, people were pretty fucking petty about it in this university group. So like changes old players actually made in victories they had would be taken away and <laughs> usurped to be garbage or like altered or they weren't there. So they would just change it without caring. They'd be like, I don't fucking care about this. And it was run between one guy. Okay, there was one guy, another guy, another guy, and me. So there were four people that ran these, and I ran, I think, the very last one before these were done forever, and that university group just split apart. But I think there were about seven or eight originally. So by the time I got around to mine, there was like eight entire 20th level games that ran like 30, 40 sessions, like fucking crunched under each plate of this game. Yep. And what I had done when we got this idea for Godbound was I took all these ideas... I scrapped all the continuity, all, all the things people had done, and I only took the ideas I thought were interesting and expanded them and made them kind of neat. Yeah, because the main concept going into this game was what to run a Godbound game in a setting that's strong, that won't just fall over the instant we introduce Godbounds into it. Because that's the big problem we had. And I think Epistle was one of the strongest settings we could have went into without, you know, everything like that. 
Which episode? Uh, in general, the yeah. going into episode was oh, that yes. he wanted to have a strong setting. Uh, yeah, like the setting was prepared for Godbound because of how the epistle setting works. It, it knows what powerful people are because the people who are the epic level characters, people. The term I used was Superman. Superman would show up and ruin the world, and then 3,000 years would go by and everyone would kind of forget <coughs> about it and only have like legends and half truths. I think that was the first time it happened, and then it happened again. And again and again, and they just keep kicking the setting while it was down. Yep. And there were a lot of weird D&D hangups stuck into it. Like some, like, like the one of the people who ran it rolled back literally all the progress that was made from it going from medieval to kind of renaissance because guns in D&D are dumb was his official line for it. So he made like this oh, caveman weird. level world where it was all like trees and like, there were barely cities. And he got a, he had his super GM plot about an angel coming to wipe out everything off the face of the world and stuff. And there were a lot of those in the epic games. They were not super great. Until I run one. Even that one wasn't super great, I find, compared to how I run now. <laughs> but uh, I had a lot of baggage going on from those guys. But, uh, yeah, conceptually, this is a setting that can handle Godbound. It knows what you are, it knows what you're capable of. Even if it didn't know what Godbound specifically were, it understood the nature of a player character. Yep. And, like, that was an intentional thing. They, this is a civilization that had lasted, you know, 30,000 uninterrupted years of dealing with this shit and had gone to, like, a transhuman magic society and then ruined their world and went back in time to get more time because all these alignments ruined the world, all yep. these epic evil games, so they wanted a fresh start. Yep. So I thought that was compelling, that the weird people from the future that were like, it's everything you don't get from D&D, because in D&D you're never really allowed to advance the setting, like, Faerun will always be Faerun, Ravenloft will always stay in stasis, Greyhawk will always be a generic fucking, you know, square and hexagon map realm that never changes. Mm -hmm. These settings never change. Rat is dragging off five-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. It's a reference to D&D where, because rats have a strength score of one, they're technically able to strike toddlers away in the 3.0 system. I mean, have you seen some rats? Right. So, like, that was the big problem with settings I found going in, was that most fantasy settings are static because D&D, as a franchise, is a static game. So that was the neat thing with Epistle. It was ever-changing and altering and getting weirder and weirder as time went on, and embracing that weirdness. Yep. You know, all the future societies were weird, all the past societies were, they mapped to fantasy tropes, but in odd and unnerving ways. Like, dragons were a civilization unto themselves. Each dragon had an entire nation with it. You know, each one of the titans had a nation with it, in different ways. The, the elves were absolutely unassailable, unless you really put effort into them. And they, they kept technology down, whereas the future people kept it up. Yep. You know, just stuff. <coughs> stuff and references and callbacks and... Interesting ideas. That was kind of my push for the game when we started. Yeah, and if some people are observant, a lot of the epistle has already made its way into our different games. And mm -hmm. some of our games have progressed into epistle back. It was all a mishmash at some point. Yeah. Neat callbacks. It's, um... I do have a lot of baggage from those days playing with the university group. Like, they were bad people. Objectively <laughs> so, and they really fucked with me a lot. But... Mm -hmm. This game was one of those ways I was able to work through those old games I used to play. So like the callbacks to old epistle stuff, I was able to kind of just put it into one game, this game, and it's like, it's here, it's done. You know, I don't think I'd ever use anything from epistle after this. Like, I don't think I need to bring up Faust or bring up ideas about like future societies or, you know, bring up the Gand again. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think this is it. Like it's done. 
I'd be very surprised if that was the case. Because I've been doing using, it forever. Yeah, exactly. Using uh, reusing like character bits or whatever is it, it makes it so that you can easily grab things to put into a game I mean, that you don't have to come up with yeah. full fresh things. Yes, like probably large scale, no, but individual parts. I don't see you ever dropping that. Like just right now, we're discussing one game where you're wanting to take a race from here and use that, yeah, and so on, and so on. So definitely a trove of ideas to pick and choose from, not necessarily to. A lot of those ideas have kind of grown past the Evicted Pistol and Metal University group. Like Goblins, yeah. how we run them is nothing how they are running the yeah. university. You definitely are the one that made that. <laughs> we, we changed them and made them more interesting. Uh, goblins are actually. Uh, for reference, and it might be a nice story to put in the outro if people yep. care. Uh, goblins are my take on the Kender from uh, Dragonlance. Uh, uh, specifically, the concept of a race, and you know, it's a race, and that's another weird D&D thing, but a race everyone would absolutely fucking despise, that people would play to the annoyance of others, that is represented in the text as being something people fucking love. Like, the Kender are objectively awful. They're steely people that because <coughs> the way their brains are wired, you can never get mad at them because they're not at fault. They never are responsible for their consequences of their actions or how they hurt people. They're just steely assholes that are halflings, that look like children and stuff, and they never feel fear. There's a lot of things to unpack with what's wrong with Kender, but my take on goblins was basically a reaction to that. What if you took Kender at face value? An annoying thing everyone would obviously hate and obviously not want to deal with. You know, this, this, this species of, like, weird half-people that, like, breed super fast and don't have a concept of death or time and just, you know, live in the moment constantly and never can really follow orders or never can focus. And they have, like, you know, a cast system that allows, like, a commander to show up and, like, you know, move them away from people. And, like, by making them objectively awful right out the gate, it actually allows people to become sympathetic for them. Like, goblins are objectively bad. They're awful to deal with. They're not bad people, but they're a nuisance and a nightmare and a plague. And their lot in life is they'll probably end up killing themselves long before they establish any meaningful relationships. And once you put that out on the table as a real fact, like as the actual objective fact of the setting, other characters in the setting can go, well, that's a sad life. I feel bad about that. And can actually emphasize with them without like the writing playing up as such great heroes and fun people. Yep. That was kind of what Goblins turned into. Goblins in the, uh, the original Evicting Epistle were like, sand-dwelling half-creatures that used to be fairies, and there was like a god of them called Zael, and it was lame as shit. They were real lame. They rode, I think they rode like wasps or scarabs or something. <laughs> but the, the concept of you using like epistle-specific stuff, I think it's done. Like, this game is a dumping ground for that, or like a, a way to work it all out. Much like Transformers is a way to work out my big ideas about Transformers, and I don't think I'd use Transformers stuff in other games now. I think it's done. We have a legacy game prep where I'm playing basically a Terminator society and I do use Terminator stuff in games and I think once I go through that I will have cleansed my palate of it. Which is a little sad because I think people expect me to use these references and callbacks a lot, but it opens the door to new things to iterate on. I mean, we've done so many games at this point that you can make callbacks and references into something else yeah. from even can, our games. I can do something new now that I've gotten yeah. out of my system. I can iterate on stuff yeah. that we know. We as a because we've made memories as a group. Yeah. We have all sorts of interesting ideas and concepts to spit all around that aren't just oh, Dev is talking about something from two thousand eight. Oh, little I don't baby know. bird. Yeah, little baby bird. I don't know what Devin's referencing here. Oh my god. Little baby bird is a reference to no that. I'm, yeah. I'm talking about like stuff from two thousand eight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Stuff that almost predates you knowing me. <laughs> 
So, I guess the big part of the setting were the future society that came back. And I guess the spinning put on them that, well, there's a similar concept that everybody has a concept of what a deity is. Everyone has a concept of what a shadow run is and so on and so on. And all of them are like taken to the extreme or how yeah. would you put it down? I, I wanted to lean heavily into the future societies all representing different aspects of play. Like, um, how did I originally put it? I think that the, I know that the uh, uh, the free market guys were, uh, you, you described them as being like a, uh, having a faction rep system and then they were like a, they were like, oh, they're playing civilization. Yeah, like, like that's how I kind of, like their cultures evolved to see the world through a very specific gaming lens because gameplay is something that's, I think, special to societies. And if you get as advanced as they got and as weird as they got, they would take that form of entertainment as a worldview. And it's a great way to cope with the nihilism and the actual factual understanding that not only does nothing matter, but the universe is a hostile, angry black hole that's going to swallow up everything you've ever done. Yeah. So, yeah, the, 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 the dragon people, the manticore, they saw the world through the lens of a 5X game, you know, where it's all about exploration, hexes, setting up colonies, faction, rep, trade, civilization, or um, what's what's that famous 5X one, the space one? Sid Meier's uh, Alpha Centauri? Alpha Centauri's a good one. I meant the more recent one by Paradox. Oh, Stellaris. Stellaris. They saw the world through that kind of lens. Alpha Centauri, civilization, Stellaris. Uh, I think Derecho saw it... How did they? I can't remember anymore. I mean, they were um, the Matrix people. They plugged themselves in... Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember. I mean, they, they were, were a smaller society, so it's like they're hedonistic. They uploaded themselves to the blockchain and so on, copied themselves. Yeah, they were a smaller society, so maybe not us. Acerin saw the world through like he liter he literally had the world quantified as if it was like a fantasy TTRPG. Yeah, because I kind of ran it from the idea that the three D and D system was something you could examine, like, like. I read it from the understanding that someone could, in D&D could throw themselves off the tallest building and be like, hey, I only took minor to catastrophic damage. It's not that bad. Most people can walk this off because it's only like 10d6 tall. It's like, if you were in an actual game, you eventually would figure out, okay, how much is a hit point? How much is a thing? Or like, be able to why, is, why is everything in five foot increments? Yeah, why is every room an even number of five, no matter how we make them? We tried to make a circular room. No, it's five foot by five foot. Well, we gotta go to the next village. Everyone get into a in, into a group huddle. Exactly. The fastest thing in the game. Right. Like I, I kind of ran from that perspective that maybe it wasn't one for one D&D three but these people were so advanced that their understanding of physics and the laws of nature, because the laws of nature are magic. They're made by gods. Yeah. Were understandable, investigatable, and exploitable because they weren't very good. Yeah, so like, they're the people in the machine or whatever that figure out what the matrix is and yeah. iterate from that to like start hacking exactly. the system. They understand they're in a simulation, and that's and that doesn't necessarily translate to they know they're a D and D game, yeah. but they understand that their world was made by was intelligently designed, and therefore was kind of shoddily built. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <coughs> so yeah, how did we feel as players yeah, with the future societies? Uh, I was shocked that most people didn't play future people. Well, yeah, um, I guess that's something that at least I realized a little bit later that recently we were talking about, like, you know, looking back at other games and so on and so on, and Devin mentioned that, oh, he expected more people to play future societies. Yeah, because the... I remember going in that that wasn't 
mentioned. It wasn't mentioned, but the original pitch was written from the perspective of the future societies. Yeah. Yeah. So me, Devin, and Kevin yeah. kind of saw that and we were like, okay, it's written from the perspective of the future people, so we're going to play the future people. And I, I guess it just didn't occur to us yeah. that other people might not well, see that. I mean, literally, my <laughs> thought when I created, I made a bunch of characters and, and negotiated over which ones were gonna, I was going to play, but the end for me was like, there was lots of references to the games you just described, and I had absolutely yeah. no connotation. Yeah, most people don't. So therefore, it made more sense to me to play a character who's like a barbarian and a blank slate. A blank yeah. slate, yeah. yeah. It has no idea what the hell any of these things are. Also, so that when I got introduced to the uh, different factions, I could go, oh, I like this one, or oh, I like this one. Yeah, yeah I came from a similar place. Yeah. It was, there was an overwhelming amount of information. <laughs> yeah, it pretty much. Like, I, I think that's an obvious thing to call now, but in hindsight, it's something I should have really noticed. Like, it's obvious. It's an obvious, really easy mistake to make. Like, to just be like, oh, right, they're going to go for the point of view characters that don't have to know anything because so like, that way they can naturally get acclimated to it. Well, there's two things. Adur. One, there's a setting that has a lot of history. That's one thing that can be overwhelming. But on the other hand, it's a setting with a lot of history with nothing you can reference to. It's not like Exalted where like, oh, we're playing this setting that has lots of stuff. But also, 20 books. If you can, can go and like, oh, I want to read up, I don't know. Um... You know, yeah, one of the cities, and so on, so on. Look deeper into it by myself without having to bug Devon for little things. Um, like me specifically going into it, I was like, oh, okay, there are future society come from the future into the past to colonize and so on. And I didn't want to be like, I'm for the future, therefore I know better than everything else in this setting. Therefore I'm setting my ways, and you know my way is the best way because I've done this. <laughs> so I specifically wanted to be a past person to have a completely different perspective than. Oh, those savages! I know, right? There's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is intentional. Like I knew it'd be a game about colonialism. Yeah, which if we, you know, it was explicitly mentioned that hey, we want to be from the future, guys. If that was specifically mentioned, then maybe it was yeah. a different perspective. Yeah, but without that being explicitly said, that's where it ended yeah. up. Yeah, to come back to what you said about it being written from the perspective of the future people, mm-hmm. I got that as well, but. Though it was written from their perspective, I never perceived them as being the protagonists. It always seemed antagonistic to me. Oh yeah, they're they not. Were, they're not the good. They're not good guys. That's yeah, definitely they were true. coming back and basically <laughs> invading the world. Like, who would be the good guys in the setting? Probably just the common, the common, the folks, common person, the common person from the from, past, from the past or the future. Yeah. So, so these are people who saw the end of time and were basically robbed of having a future and were like, I guess, I'll, I, yeah, yeah, let's, let's yeah. go back and, and, so, see, and see air again and see the ground again. Yeah. So if you made any character that's pro any other part of the setting, you are explicitly the bad guy. For the future societies, you're it's oppressing. Pro hyper elves, you're obviously bad. Pro breakers, takers, you oh, know, yeah. Faust and Fui, and anything else, you're obviously the bad person. <laughs> Which yeah. is fine. It, it was an awfully weird statement to make. It's like, if you want to be part of the system, you're inherently evil. It's like, huh, what a weird statement this game has. <laughs> Being part of a system is bad. Yeah. Yeah, you basically had to not be part of any of the factions that were established maybe, in order to be a good guy. Maybe if you were New Elder Guard, but not under... Shemzeroth. Shemzeroth. Yeah. Maybe. 
So yeah, this was really... I did kind of like that because it primed people to just go their own way. Yeah, which was fine. Um, well, like, I really dug some of the future societies, like uh, I dug the hyper-capitalists and so on. I was like, interested in engaging with them. Season 1. Season then they two. blew up. Yeah, Season 2, I saw all the setting change to be more like endgame slash antagonistic. Which I personally didn't enjoy as much. Like, I had fun hanging out with Faust first season. So I know some people didn't like him, but for me, it's like, oh, that's a nice thing yeah, for Azazel. Season two, he was already doing his machinations and planning on things more actively. Like, oh, I don't like that anymore. I think I think that if the game had a flaw, it was that uh, there were very few. Um, NPCs who weren't like our guys, who we could kind of relate to on like and have like a a relationship that was like anything but we hate survival? you. Yeah, like or servile in the other in the other well, way. Like, yeah, that's there's there was no kind of middle ground of people. Everyone like, was everyone was either chaff or they were so far above yeah. us that it was unreachable. I guess for me, um, that was kind of a point of my character, is that she's very paranoid and doesn't trust anyone except for her one guy who's proven himself. Yeah. And like, she was basically supposed to get to trust the party eventually, but yeah. we didn't become like... very great friends at all. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's like the, what you're talking about, Tyler, that's, yeah, it's an artifact of trying to build a setting that, that can handle Godbound. It's like, it's very hard to do that granular middle. I guess. It would be nice maybe if like we had some past societies that were not hyper advanced but like enough to that they're on their own thing, their own culture and so on that we might be like sympathetic to man or to just go and pave over as our new worshippers and so on. Yeah, um but I kind of like Noctis to be honest, as like other yeah. character. Nocturnus. Or Noctis. Um I like pretty much all of them, except I also hate all of them in different ways. <laughs> yeah. Basically, I think that, like, I like the epistle as a setting. Just I like all the different stories and stuff, but there's a lot to it. I think that if we were going to come back to the epistle at all, it would be better if A, we weren't gods, and B, uh, we scrap, like, this game is not canon. <laughs> so we focus on, like, one of the future societies, and that's the one we're going to be interacting with. And uh, that way we could actually dive into it more. But that, in that way, it's not really a pistol at that case, in that. Yeah. Even just, like, all of us, like, running, like, a family or whatever. In... Hmm. Yeah, or something like that. But um, also, once the world exploded, um, it was like, oh, oh, shit. Yeah, like... <laughs> I feel a little bit that we jumped the middle part of the game where we'd be like, oh, engaging more of the side without trying to push ourselves too much, push their setting too much. Because early on we were like, oh, there's you know a hole there. We need to fix it so it's not a problem. It doesn't break us heavy. And after the giant you know December vault went off, it's like, well, it's broken anyway. Might as well just you know <laughs> put the hammer down and so on and so on. I like guess an interesting yeah. thing to happen. Yeah, I. I yeah. I don't know. I, I felt like we were finally getting to the point where we could actually do the things that we said our characters wanted to do at the start. Yeah, I mean, I think that's maybe a little bit problem with 
global and said, well, like, for a long while, you have this aspiration, like, oh, I want to go save the world, save this country, deal with the big threats. For a long while, you can't because you don't have the power. And then when you reach the tipping point, suddenly you can just go and pave over the whole setting because you have enough guys, materials, shots, and gold walkers, and you just... Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the narrative of the campaign. And, like, I had a fun time, like, going through and experiencing the story and, like, all of the stuff that we did it. But, I mean, like a typical D&D &D or OSR game, like, I really enjoyed it despite yeah. the mechanics of, of the <laughs> yeah. game itself. I'm, I'm really glad I to hear that. Uh, really, really I, terrible. I'm really yeah. glad to hear that. I was afraid that that I was kind of dragging it. It's yeah, like, no, it was, it was, it was good. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. But, like, mechanically, it was, it was terrible. Like, definitely what I noticed, like, when we were going to fight... Poor Devon had to put in enough stuff to for us not to just pave over it in a turn or two, that, that, but also not enough that to I pay, would, they pave over it. Not enough that I would just be like, "Oop, not in this body anymore." Bye. Yeah, yeah. The, the typical, the typical. It had the typical problem of every like first to third edition D and D game has, which is trying to come up with uh, any kind of. Uh, fight to challenge the player with the added problem that when you're dealing with the kind of nonsense we can throw around where you've got like giant armies of man-eating goats and Lothar's ridiculous cult and airships with people with guns and an oh, army nice. of 20 level wizards yeah we definitely pushed the system to its limits we found way more than we do with exalted and Exalted, oh, we yeah. straight up broke everything. I mean, in Exalted, <laughs> Archival was strong, but we we haven't yet figured out the brain spiders of how to... Like, hey, if we give our people two stripes, they become heroes, which are way stronger than everything else. Or if yeah. we bring a vast army everywhere, it can just, you know, roll over everything. So, so the paradox of Godbound goes like this. It's supposed to be a very nice way to do, like, a sandbox game. Like, yeah. You know, you're in a hex, you're going to go to the next hex, maybe someone's going to plop down a module from, like, AD&D, right? Like, hey, it's Dragon Mountain, let's go do that from 1983. Yep. But the paradox of Godbound is, it's like, you are on a hex map. Alright, I took a single lesser gift that lets me traverse the entire world as an action. Yep. You're like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're not on a hex map so much as we're on a single map without a grid, and you just point to where you guys want to adventure to. Okay. Well, you're still going to be challenged by what's there. It's like, Right, but now I'm high enough level that I have goons. And it's like, oh, okay. I guess your goons will be taking care of that now, and you'll go be doing other things. Like, like as you progress in Godbound, every part of the sandbox experience, like, hey, do you guys want to do Dragon Mountain? It's like, fuck no, I don't, but I'll send 15,000 12-hit-die soldiers to go do it. It's like, oh, Dragon Mountain has been defeated. It's like, oh, sure, I have five minutes to go I and just go for the start. Punch my way down to straight to the bottom. Punch the you know, boss in the face and take his loot. Yeah, or it's like, you know, hey, I'm going to go do this adventure. It's like, I could do that, you know, because I'm... And it's like, why are you doing this adventure? It's like, well, I really care about X, Y, and Z. I actually care. I'm super connected. I want this kingdom to prosper, and I care about my wife and stuff. And it's like, cool, 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 cool. So you're going to go fight the adventure? It's like, oh, oh, God, no. I have health, cities, and engineering. I set up free Medicare for all and built walls so high the kingdom lives on the walls away from anyone who can ever invade us. That kingdom, every problem that kingdom has has been solved forever by me yeah. with Dominion. The... And just free stuff my gifts give me. One thing um, I learned from this game, uh, which 
I've kind of learned and forgotten many times over the years, is to have a character with clearer, more uh, short-term goals. Because Thea's goal is basically... Be liked. Take over the world. Spread my network. Or whatever. Use my greater gift of wireless. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to take over the world or whatever. And like, out of character, the point was also, like, I was hoping that like we would yeah. get along and like make friends I and thought she did to trust pretty, pretty pretty well for the most part until uh, the very end she's very paranoid and also it seemed like the one she got along with most was the marquis hey. and it seemed like lothar and mattel um hated cities and future people so she was always like do they hate me are they gonna turn on me i don't know <laughs> And then Azazel was just a fucking drunken mess. She had no idea how to deal with that. It's like, he's not bothering me, so cool. Whatever. Uh, and then Kevin exploded, or, Mat- or Marquis exploded the world. And uh, and then also he wasn't in the game for quite a while. Yeah. So it was Thea with the three past people, and she's like, okay... Alright, do you I guys mean, hate future people? Are you, are you wanting to burn down the I city mean, I live in? What's going on? Uh, but by the end of the game... You're another player who wouldn't be such dicks to you. But I guess the problem I had with Thea was that whenever there's a conflict, Thea just goes into her safe you know, space and doesn't engage. Which well, is, you um, know, the paranoia and so on and so on, but like... Uh, the fight with uh, the Gand, yeah. it seemed like we were going to die, so she popped out of that. Yeah. Um, but the reason she didn't go into the Paradise thing was also... Because that's story. that's yeah, a main. Like, know, that's... This character was also supposed to. Yeah, no, no. I think yeah. you're saying it makes perfect sense. It was yeah. just kind of hard to deal. Yeah, with. Yeah, it's just like, despite the making sense, like it's not necessarily that great for the game as a game. I understand, you know, the character. Yeah, that yeah. makes total sense. Um, okay. I mean, yeah, Lothar. You were you were saying something though, like Tyler, before yeah. that. Do you saw that thought? Yeah, um, I was saying like I. I kind of what, what you were talking about with the like oh well I want to be this where I have health so I make Medicare and I build walls and all the city like I thought that was really the only good part of the game I liked that sort of like loosey goosey yeah. like I I would have preferred for it to be more unmarried from its OSR roots which it doesn't need and add nothing and and just sort of be narrative based with gifts where it's like oh well I'm I'm sore. So I can just do anything with sword. So I'm just going to try and think of ways to solve these problems with swords or use martial or whatever. And then, you know, you do things like that. And then the DM says, okay, great. You do that. Here's the problem that that creates. Combat Here's the way this doesn't go <laughs> super well. And you, then you have to deal with that. You know what you're describing? What? Power by the Apocalypse game. Yeah. Oh. You take action yeah. and then the consequences of it play out in the fiction depending on what depending on the stakes you set. Yeah. But like yeah, like <laughs> the combat was the combat was like was interesting the first I think the the last time I really enjoyed the combat and thought it was neat was the big battle we fought against the breaker. Everyone yeah. had their own stuff to do. We had our own forces there. It was a big we got to be big damn heroes. And like that was like in season one. Yeah. And yeah, that was probably yeah. And at that point, I felt like I had to put everything in combat as well because, like, also the challenges were crazy, and yeah. you know, like because you were trying to make challenges. 
but that just so made the gap way much. Yeah, you know, it was terrific. I can't even talk to the greater Godbound community about this because anytime you bring up that you know D and D has a combat engine problem, which is obvious and it's been this for forty goddamn years. <laughs> anytime you bring it up, it's immediately like, oh well, you just don't know how to play the game right, or your game was nothing but a hack and slash, or you were playing a D and D simulator, or yeah. you know you should try not playing it like your hero <laughs> adventurers sleeping in ditches. You should try to play it like you're actually gods. And it's like then what the fuck happens when the combat engine begins? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it goes this way every time. Like, there is, like I'm like, hey, in the fight between Angel and Mattel, can we, like, I don't know, carve out some of the ceiling? Maybe use your gift to make a shield to, to block you or be creative with it. It's like, no. Why, if you fucking why spend you a turn that? being creative with it, That's you're going to get geeked. Lothar, Lothar could have spent a time grabbing the... I actually thought about doing this. Grabbing the Angel and using his superior might to push that into the, into the danger zones. Except that... There's no specifically no good rules for doing that, and it would probably be prevented by nine iron walls. So there's no move for you to move someone else, and so on, so on. Those mechanics don't exist. Also, the fact that um... well, you can't just discuss it. Like you can't. I can't just ask people how they deal with it because it inevitably gets drowned out by people going, "There is nothing wrong here," and it makes me crazy. Like I, I think that's a valid part of this game, where it's like, like we did two episodes where we fucking made fun of that. But I mean, I, I think the problems are just so deeply, intrinsically embedded in the game. Like it's, it's like it's not like like most guard where at the end of it we talked about what was wrong with it, and we were like, oh, like if you like change it so that feint is against attack instead of defend, it solves a huge problem with the game that then makes it better. There's no yeah, changing the simple solution. To this because it's just based on an engine that is yeah. it's based on a 40 year, en- year old engine that to this day is based around two objectives kill take you kill so you can take you take so you can get better at kill yep. and like there is nothing to fix that and like it's good if like we were sitting down to do like a not really like intense game i feel where it's just like hey we're gonna do a god thing for all maybe we're gonna roll over dragon mountain or like yeah another fucking module for a couple sessions. That's all cool. We'll level up a bit or stuff. But it's like, for trying to do the kind of intenser games we do, it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. It was great when we were like sick of Exalted 3rd Edition and it's <laughs> 600 pages of rules. And it's like, this system will get in our way the least. And I agree. Like I was a big proponent of Godbound because it will get in your way the least. Yeah. But that was what, 2017, 2016? Also, yeah. Um, and like by now, we found systems that not only get in our way the least, we found systems that not only don't get in our way. Well, yeah, like, like they don't they don't just not get in our way. They actually push the game forward. And once you find a system that that the, the once that standard is raised, it can't ever go back. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, with this Godbound game too, um, because of the way combat works and everything. I always felt very, very useless. So, so basically, you either play a combat character, or you're completely useless in combat. Oh. And like, I wanted to play like a useful, like a cool character I, with cool powers, but I was doing literally one damage be, at the most. Usually. To be fair, to be fair, I think the way that could have been mitigated. I mean, this is the, if we ever play Godman again. Is characters like Lothar should not fucking exist. Um, <laughs> you can't play in the same field and make combat like decent I mean, like strifes should be taken out and then when we actually have a fight it should be like 
against like heroes with a couple of gifts and not against the ridiculous nonsense that we I mean because if we're just all just grabbing end game bosses I'm like here we go end game boss if we're just all throwing around smites and like you know the might character can only pull off two or three hits with uh, yeah. uh, the str the strength flash and flash power and all the words have decent combat abilities which is a big <laughs> problem because they should all have like a D8 or smite at the very least yeah. There's, there's I just, mean, you can take the D8 smite with any. Well, yeah. sorry, like a D10 smite or something like that. Well, probably like I'm if sure you're making not. characters for Godball, you'd, like ideally you take one ward that's combat focused, like sword or might or something. One ward that's very utility focused, so you can do like your grand project, like artifacts, engineering, stuff like that. And then put whatever else in there, so that you can have character that's both good in combat, at least decent enough, interesting enough out of combat, so it's not like, hey, I can make my guy strong, or strong and fast, and I'm out of ideas, guys, I don't have any Dominion projects. Yeah, um, to, to speak to that though, like, when I started this, I didn't know Godbound at all, so I kind of had to piece together, you know, it, was, it was difficult for me to make a character. But I later found out that the way, the way you build a character is like that, where you kind of look at what you want to do, and then you, you grab these words that support it. And to me, that seems very backwards. You should be able to say, I want to, like, I want to be someone who's like dance, passion, and intoxication, because the concept of those three I mean, go really well together. And then take that and have it be a character that you can play as opposed to being like, oh, well, I need to have this, so I need to pick one of like these oh. sections of words. There are two approaches. Either you want to play Godbound optimally, which isn't fun, <laughs> or you want to run Godbound that's thematic, and then you do what you have described, and then you know, some of the things, unfortunately, the system grinds against. And also, just, like, I, I, I know that, 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 I mean... Joking about wealth and fire and stuff like that and other stuff in there and and the endless debate over which word is best, um, sun is and like endurance are we goddamn ridiculous. I mean, yeah, it, that that's basically what I was trying to say too. Like like, I look like looking at the different words and then being like, oh, those are neat concept words. I'm gonna do that. That's kind of how I would go about it. Like if I didn't have a pre-existing character idea. I would look at the words and be like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a character around it. But then you look at it and you're like, but I, I, I can't do any yeah, damage. To me, it should, yeah, and I mean, <laughs> like, even like, some, some of, I've ended up being very disappointed with some of the words that I took. Like, if you had, yeah. any, any standout? Uh, sword and freedom. Really? I, sword? I took sword because I'm like, oh, I want to be like, I want to be an awesome pirate. I want to be a duelist. I want to get in epic sword fights with people. I want to be able to hold my own. And all that really came out good out of sword was nine iron walls, which is great. The exalted but it didn't, problem. It didn't fit the kind of thematic idea that I wanted. And what I could do with sword is do four damage half the time, <laughs> every second turn, which is just not a lot. Doesn't cost you effort though. That, I I played a sword main character when I when I got to play Godbound and I I got a fair amount of mileage out of it. But I know what you're talking about in comparison to what's being thrown around. Yeah, yeah. and I mean even like 
I, I just wish it, it, it fit kind of like the fiction that I had behind the word a bit better. Like, even if I didn't do a massive amount of damage all the time, being able to go in and just, I don't know, just you like duel someone. Yeah, right? like, 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 like say, okay, like we're in a sword fight now and you have to sword fight me or I'm going to like, I, I don't know. And like, freedom was so, everything was so situational. Like oh, yeah, ev- that's a weird word. Ev- every part of it has this weird contingency where it either like kind of comes up and you can use it, or your stuff is completely I, useless. I think that the big thing I have, big problem I have with Godbound is going to sound weird. I like the words. I hate the gifts because yeah. the gifts are like it's so much more interesting to have characters come up with miracles that are interacting with the. Uh, with the world you're in and the situation that might be interesting and come with cool ways but mechanically the game really doesn't want you to do that like miracles have like don't argue me with this and this guy's online (laughs) miracles have like well-defined rules online and what they Mm. do when you do that and it's usually something stupid like create a danger zone which is the, the only kind of effective thing you can do and like oh you have minus two for a round yeah that was a great use of my daily effort yeah. And I mean that's that's what I was saying. Where like I almost would have preferred to have just like just had the words, and then you just do stuff with that. Like I have sword freedom in sky, yeah. and then when we're in a situation, I say, oh well, I think that my person can do this because of sky. I think that um, you kind of are supposed to be able to do that, but also the fact that there's gifts which cost certain things, everything limits it. Uh, on the other hand, though, without the gifts, thinking of stuff you can do for the words might be tricky for a lot. Yeah. Or, so, I mean, you, you could put out, yeah. like, a framework of examples. Yeah, exactly. It means, like, a list of example gifts for your word. <laughs> no, plus also, yeah. the big that's, point... That's what, that's what the, uh, the, the gifts on each word, like the lesser and greater gifts, are kind of representative of. They're but examples of gifts that exist for the words, and you can add more to them. Yeah. Like, plus also the big problem with Yudranda is where do you set the limits of your world? Because it's okay, good to have power, but also good to have limits. Like, oh, I can definitely parry that with my sword. Yeah, I deflect the sun rays with my sword and so on. Or I know. It's a rabbit hole we ran down to when we ran Exalted. We were very liberal with our uh, allowance for miracles mm-hmm. and spells and stuff, and it did not. Mm-hmm. It, it, it created a scenario where every word was the same because you could justify basically everything with it. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's a tricky situation, and running on a purely combat engine game that supports nothing else certainly doesn't help. I guess, like, one word I really did like this time was the World of Dragon, which has a really varied set of gifts and really varied utility. Like, the one lesser gift of Dragon I had with the Dragon Horde, I think for me, would be better in the whole world of wealth. For what you were doing with it specifically. Yeah. That's a great way to avoid us having that argument again. Yeah. Just saying, <laughs> no, just saying it that I'm way. just saying that, you know, <laughs> that world of itself has great, great utility. We're like, oh, you can do combat, you can do stuff outside of it, you can infiltrate people, you know, take their skin out, you can mind control people, it's also the great variety in that single world. Yeah, it's like a whole conceptual 10, package. 20 different words that are us. It's a concept word. I, I know. <laughs> yeah. If we had like 10, 20 words that are us tight, as strong as dragon, that would be a way different thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in contrast to what I said before, like dance was a great word. Yeah, I, I love dance. Yeah. 
I am for many of the same reasons that you like dragon. It was did you very have four versatile. words? Yeah, I did. Oh. Okay, because I was like, I keep so being it's... really confused about what words you have because I thought you only had three. Which oh. I should I should not have done. Would <laughs> spread too thin. Uh, I don't know if I shouldn't have gotten four words. I could see four words working for a build. I should should have taken freedom. And I mean, like one of the. You didn't really get a lot of utility out of freedom. I took the slavery pays as a greater gift at like level one, and I was just sitting on it, just waiting to use what, it. How does that work? Um, it it lets me do like crazy shit against someone, but I have to have like at one point been their servant oh, or slave. That's impossible to fucking pull off. Well, I was going to use it on the hyper elves, but the hyper elves and, were so powerful. And, and, that and again, we never that's got that's there. not something that I really like <laughs> gleaned to... onto at the start of the setting. That they would that it would that be is like, like yeah, by like, definition, something you're going to miracle up. I mean, you probably have to like. Go out of your way to go into every fear society, be their underclass for a bit to pretend, and then like, haha, now I can kill all of you because I served you. Yeah. Service guarantees murder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that, like, I understood that the, the hyper elves were like the higher end. But, but then it would be like, oh yeah, them. but like, so but here, here are these guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we're gods. And yet we won't be able to realistically oppose these people until we do like, oh, three seasons of this game. I think we had a good shot of dealing at them just by virtue of, of just ridiculous numbers. Like we were going to put together a... I think you guys could have taken them season one. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of season one when you guys were getting all your prep together... And season two, once they scattered, it was a foregone conclusion. You guys were going to start fucking headhunting those guys and shard hunting. Yeah. So so last game, I didn't give out a lot of shards. And I know in living years when Kevin ran it, it was also lean because that was more of a resource management game. Yeah. This game, I really fucking threw shards out. I, I just yeah. dump trucked them across the game because why the fuck not? Yeah. No one gets to use shards if I don't hand them out. Yeah. Like, I guess with the shards and the minions and so on and so on, in general, uh, I think if this city put, like, if it wasn't used everywhere and actual Dominion expenditure was an important thing, like, say, in Fellowship, where you build an artifact, that's a big event because you're taking something from the world or from yourself, and that's something that is important. If that was also conveyed in Godbound itself, maybe it would be less like, oh, okay, I'll just throw 40 Dominion to boost my guys up so I can go kill those people. And so on, so on. I I enjoyed the dominion aspect of it. Yeah, that's a resource allocation. Doing our own things. Yeah, and like having to choose what you would prioritize. Like being like, okay, I'm a god. I can do these vast things, but I only have so many arbitrary points to allocate to them. Do I want to fix the sky or do I want to make an army? Yeah, like if those choices came up more, like there's more consequences that are something more. Where again, would the choices really matter and have things? And maybe yeah. yeah. Some, well, some, I, I, sorry, no, you you go. Some of my favorite things were uh, we didn't do with it too much with with my group, but I mean, was the nonsense that came about from my cult getting completely out of control, and like we didn't touch on that that much, but it was still fun to have like to go through that. And yours, you your some of the best moments in the game were oh look. It's a bit of look. Look what my cult has gone completely apeshit in Jericho. Yeah. In Jericho and, yeah. But uh, bears. 
to riff on what Nicole said about the importance of having short-term goals, I think that comes into it with Dominion. Like right up until the end, I was always starved for Dominion. There were always things that I wanted to be spending points on mm. and always like more things I wanted to be doing, more miracles I wanted to be enacting than I had Dominion to spend. And I enjoyed that. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I love it too. When I, when I was playing the years, I loved that as Atrus, just being able to kind of do projects, like fun mm-hmm. little things. Yeah. Most were revolving around making people's lives easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, maybe, maybe had more spotlight in the game, but again, the game sort of said like, hey, let's dump five, ten different projects the same session, guys, because we had a couple month downtime. It can get a bit overwhelming. Uh, so, um... Highlights from the game, I guess. What did we enjoy? What, yeah, what were your guys' favorite moments? Like, I really like, you know, the fight, of course, with the Breaker, the big Malefant, and so on and so on. That was probably the season one set piece. Uh, that was that was pretty cool. I gotta give mad props to the Crimson Marquis because he didn't do that much, but when he did, oh my god, <laughs> it was Looney Tunes. <laughs> all the bear things i really yeah. really fucking liked going to that town and the bear had fucking snuck in through the bu- like we were talking to the king of the the city <laughs> and then a bear had snuck in behind the throne it was gonna like that was actually oh. yeah one of my high priests was gonna be totally not a bear <laughs> yeah. i mean with the bear stuff maybe it'll be what is it like if they start to engage also different parts of the thing like oh if a bear goes to Matiel and wants to pirate some honey how does Matiel respond to that <laughs> and because out of like where the bears come up usually those in Taya and Taya was just killing all of them if they came up to us that would be a different story Lothar doesn't even know his high priest to bear it's like well he's not a bear I mean he's clearly a ninja it's like wearing like the least convincing ninja mask just because his like, name is bear doesn't <gasps> mean he's a bear his name is totally not a bear. I mean, actually, it is. It's Ku, uh, Ku, Kuma Jijinchenai, which I think roughly translated is not a bear. Oh my god, yeah. I was probably wrong. I'm not the brown translate, one. So. <laughs> um, I kinda, like the one small thing. Like at some point, you were, you know, it was Matiel talking with Loboto Bringer. And something about Azazel, he got and you know, he brought out like, oh, he's he's not a god, he's something different. Like nice little hint there that you know, Azazel's actual past is that he's not the half god, he's half you know, Shabnigraf esque monster, the black goats of the woods, and so on, and so on. Unfortunately, we didn't get to that, but yeah, nice little touch there. Yeah, I really liked interacting with our people. Mm-hmm. I liked. I, I tried. I tried to put that to the forefront as much as I could, but like, I used to keep track of issues I was popping from the stuff you're culted, but like, it quickly grew unmanageable. Yeah. yeah. Um, like maybe if we had the list of like, hey, these are the problems. You know, if you want to knock something off the list, just point to it, and like, we're going to have a scene about it. That might have been easier because yeah, we had us problems keeping up with what's going on, what's an issue. So yeah, like a quest log, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely enjoyed you portraying the goats, the vampires, the many, many different things out there. So yeah, definitely all the trashy part of the setting, quote unquote, was definitely a highlight. Everything definitely had a personality to it, I feel. Yeah. And the soundtrack pulled its weight fairly well. Yeah. What were the other highlights? 
game. Like, uh, after in the second season, I didn't enjoy all the fighting with Darren Nocturne. It took like two, three sessions and so on. It's like, ah. Yeah, I felt really reluctant to get involved in those. those, those I know, right? Oh yeah, my god, this was great. Slug. The witch? The, the, the space the later front. Because oh, yeah. once we got into the end, it was like, alright, uh, he's going to use 9 iron walls because you're doing 12 damage pretty much automatically every round. And he's going to hit you for 47 because he's doing 3 attacks per round straight damage. And see, the last fight with the angel, I think I enjoyed because it had high stakes. We didn't have any bullshit guys with us to throw an army at it and the power levels were about matched so it was a toss up of who'd win, who'd survive and so on. Yeah that fight definitely had a lot more um, I trying to say that fight definitely had a lot more um, was a contextual it? feel of you guys were up against like a pile driver. Like this was a machine that was going to hit you over and over and over again, and you knew how hard it was going to hit because it's a machine and it's relatable. Like, it's, it's, it's readable. Like, you know how hard it'll hit, right? And, like, the thing with that is if any of you had 9 iron wall, it would have been... You would have killed it. It would have been done. What? Pure That's what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. <laughs> if you had a PBLA, it would have been fucking gone. Same if it had brilliant, brilliant law. That's it which I heard which it originally did, and you guys were like, and you were like, oh, well, I, I, I think if you anyone plays this game, they should play it with the errata that the creator put out. Yeah, that you were saying where he's like, you'd use you use it once per target, once I mean, per game. It just yeah. also seems yeah. to me that like certain words should have like every word should have a counterspell, but the counterspell should make thematic sense for the words. I mean, not just stuff in your own I word, mean, but opposing. You can offensively and defensively dispel with any word as long as it makes logical sense. You can do rainbow shields like we living salted, <laughs> but obviously pretty brilliant law is just better than everything else. So like, I don't know, if you had entropy, you could definitely dispel passion because they're like, oh, I don't feel anything, I have the heart of stone. If you had might, maybe you could break the sword or endurance and so on and so on. Definitely, there's more conversation to be had there. Provided there's no one word that can just, you know, rainbow shield everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we definitely came to the fight unprepared, and it was interesting. Yeah. And it, it did have stakes. The stakes were important to it. Yeah. It's very hard to set stakes in Godbound because, again, the fight with the big monsters. It, it can't be personal stakes because you can just leave. Yeah. And it can't be things you care about in certain contexts because, like, you know, Derecho, they could not leave. You couldn't get him out of there, so you definitely had to win. Like, you yeah. you had to stay there and stop. Oh, the fucking tea plague That was definitely one of my favorite things, too. Oh that was god. fucking amazing. Yeah. Oh my god, right? <laughs> that was good. Yeah. My name starts with T. <laughs> um, yeah. Very good. But, like, yeah, the, the Derecho people could not move, so you had to get in front of the rock and stop yeah. it. But, like, if it was any other people, it's like, eh, we'll just use our gifts to get rid of Get him out of here. So fucking so, wormhole them away. So sounds like something like Fellowship, where you have Overlord has plants and armies sieging places that can destroy it. <laughs> it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Again, like, like this would probably sound shocking to people listening because we've spent the last, like, three years being the Godbound podcast, but it's like, yeah, 
But then we found something that we didn't have to work around in the background. Like, yeah, then we found Powered by the Apocalypse, and we're like, well, fuck this. <laughs> well, shiny new thing. I got to I gotta admit, after reading it. What was that, shiny anything? Shiny new thing. I remember shiny suggesting a lot of games we, should, we could try, and then like, oh, we should play Feng Shui, we should play Leverage, and then... Like reading through Power by the Apocalypse, you know, this would be a lot more fun if it was converted into Power by the Apocalypse. <laughs> I mean, again, it's 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 not because the Power by the Apocalypse does things inherently mechanically interesting. Like, it's not a game engine; it's more like a design principle, and the design principle is the key part. It it's about every part of the mechanics are written to push forward the narrative you're going for in the game. Fellowship is written to make games about those kinds of like journey of a bunch of friends growing together, fun. Um, the the sprawl is built to make doing a heist fun. It's not about a gear book or like you know going down a list of like things or doing a bunch of pre plans. Like go directly into the heist, and while you're in the heist, you can retroactively set shit up. Same with Blades in the Dark, which does it. Every, like the sprawl's good, but Blades in the Dark does what the sprawl wants to do, like a thousand times better. The Throne one uh, kills six billion demons. Uh, broken, yeah, Broken World. That one is designed for like clearly like. Every single Shaw character. Shaw Brothers Fuxia. Yeah, is capable of ridiculous. Like, kill some of your enemies about having conversation. What with your fists? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like. I remember talking to Tom, and he said this: is that uh, Broken Worlds is built to be a Shaw Brothers fight, like those types of old kung fu movies. So everyone is capable of unbelievable violence. Even the non-combatant characters are capable of unbelievable violence. That is the language of the game, and all of the mechanics put that forward. And, like, Broken Worlds is very, very light and very, like, it's not bad. It's just, it's rudimentary compared to, say, the polish that Monster Hearts or Fellowship or um, Legacy has. They all have very high polish in what they conceptually want the game to do. Like, just reading Legacy, the way the game pushes forward how it wants to do, how it wants to kind of make the narrative work by, by the mechanics is very evocative. Like, you, you, reading one of the Civilization playbooks or one of the character playbooks, you get what that's the, the one like. that really got me was uh the first one i think i've actually gotten to this before i met met, met you guys was the worldwide wrestling one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that one's really nice. that that was one i was going to use for transformers originally yeah well it's all about having very specific characters with very specific personalities and playing to a crowd which would be the the people buying the toy yeah it, it would very much have like a <coughs> that was the greatest thing was that like like who wins the fight is decided beforehand and the game actually recognizes this. It's all about getting there and making the thing the thing actually work. And the characters basically have their own like own styles. And sometimes things go horribly wrong. Like you can like uh, a character can be horrendously injured and they have to change the match because one of the characters has a massive drug addiction and that's his problem. <laughs> yeah. And he tends to take things way too far. Like that and that is everything that is really fucking important to you know, playing pretend with wrestling. Yeah. Like, you need that. Like, if you were, like, just trying to figure out, you know, you know, if you were going to build a wrestling video game, those are the elements you'd want because then it would just be, like, on TV where it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. You know, Vince McMahon has a goddamn cocaine addiction and his twin brother has come back from the future to kill him. And yeah. it's like... And compared to say... But actual video games are like, you know, it's, it's like a wrestling game where you're fighting. Like, and if you go down the traditional, uh, just make it in D&D, it wouldn't work. And, they, and that's what they tried too. Like the the last two D like wrestling games I've seen, the Know Your Role and the other one, they're fucking D and D. Like like, yeah. You even have like the charismatic wrestler, the strong wrestler, the wise wrestler. And I like none of that makes sense because the, the fight in wrestling is the least important part of a wrestling. It's it's a 
fucking soap opera. So yeah. But with naked guys in, in fucking Speedos. Yeah. And it gets like, like uh, exceptionally violent. Like not more, not, you know, super more violent than soap operas, because soap operas go places sometimes. Sometimes a werewolf shows up. <laughs> um, hey, Gangrel. Yeah, fucking Gangrel, the wrestler. Yeah, yeah. he's a vampire's man. But, um, it's over the top. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I mean. It, it's not the mechanics. It's not that narrative games. I, okay, yeah, no, I guess it is narrative games. Right? <laughs> superior. Like, yeah, I'm probably saying that. But the point is, is that the game knows what the people going to want to play, and all the mechanics push towards to have that happening. You know, I want to play a wrestling game where it's a big soap opera drama where the actors and the characters they're playing are different, and there's kayfab. And the game's like, yeah, here's all the mechanics to do it. There's a game for Mash, like like the Korean War TV show soap opera. There's a game for it called Mash, where you have different characters and like it's all about like dealing with the drama of war and like the the different quirky personalities in the base and doing fucking surgery. I uh... that also was the first pick I had for Transformers because I was going to be a game about being in like a hospital in Cybertron. So circling back though, I do actually like Godbound, like yeah. as a. I like looking at the words. I like being able to pick different powers you have and what Making you're like god of. Making like 500 different characters. But I don't like having combat in the game. <laughs> if you could just throw combat out or hand wave it and just have it be like also slightly lower to the ground. More like living years. I think if we all made characters living years is a that curse. were not... Yeah, it's a curse because it's perfect. Living yeah. <laughs> years was the first big not combat game we ran. And we'll we'll never get a game like that again out of five. It was perfect. I guess um, well well part of like the present though, there I don't think there is one yet that's like God but like Exalted where you like the high power tiers that there is. There's one called Godsend. I haven't it's actually a spin-off of Legacy. Yeah. I looked into it, it's it's fairly good. Um, for what we want out of it, we definitely want them altered a bit. But Godsend exists, and it's actually a lot like Godbound mixed with Actraiser from the uh, Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for the it's one also person who got that reference. <laughs> it's also diceless. Yeah. Also, like the way we run sub God games is quite different. It's like a lot more screaming, a lot more arguing about morality, and so on, and so on, and. I don't think that's maybe in, but I don't know. Haven't watched uh, Red yet, so yeah. I I don't mean to toot our own horn on that, but like I feel with with games that have morality as a central thesis, like you're playing divinities and you're building a cult and people are expected to worship you and you have to set moral codes for them. I feel we kind of go hard into it, like we talk about that shit. Living Years was nothing but us discussing ethics and morality and trying to figure out a way to be a good person. And this game, way to be a good person probably wasn't at the forefront, but the, the, the fucking dynamics of Divinity like really came up. Yeah, I just tried to be a god. I never tried to be a good person. This game wasn't really a good person game. It was a powerful person game. Yeah. It, was, it was about being great, not being good. Which is fine. Not every game is about being good. But Living Years was... Absolutely about both being a god and being good. Like, we had conversations in Living Years where one character, like my character, was uncomfortable being a god because we were, he was in a world that wasn't his own land, right? Like, he was in this place called Inkali, which is like mythic Ethiopia. And he came from Ravenloft. And he was essentially like, I know I can save these people, and I know these people, like, you know, would benefit from worshipping me. But if I did that, I'd be, I'd be taking away from their actual culture. And it isn't right to do that because I'm just profiting off of their suffering. 
Like, it isn't their fault an apocalypse hit them. It wasn't because they lived sinfully or lived a bad life. An apocalypse hit and destroyed their culture and their society. And if I rolled up and was like, yeah, worship me, I'll keep you safe and stuff, then I'd be destroying any link they had to getting that culture back on their own. And I don't have the ethical right to do that. And it was actually a big thing for a bunch of sessions for him. I actually was a, a free divinity for a while before I actually started gathering a cult. But like, that's a pretty big thing to bring up in a game of being gods, yeah. right? See, like, that's a fairly something like Godbomb had such thing like, oh, here are your philosophical challenge for the players. Here, grab it. And you have such conversation, like, pick from the list, like, what might be relevant to you. A cut philosophy, the thickening. Yeah, like, like that'd be like a cut that the like, GM or the referee would throw it. Like, if you had mechanics or even concepts to challenge players in that way, that would be more just like, say, oh, Teya. Teya wants to turn everyone into Acerans because Acerans is the loyal one. They're mutilating their souls. What yeah. if we had that addressed as an actual philosophical issue? That would be a big thing that's, that can be solved with throwing damage, that can be solved with throwing miracles. Can we solve anything but working it out? Yeah, and like, you know, sometimes the answer isn't like a big hand-wringing. It's like you're mutilating these people's souls to turn into a facsimile of your most loyal worshipper because you're a paranoid psychopath. And they's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, don't you see the problem? Nope. I only see a solution. And yeah. its name is Acerin. I will never be hurt again. <laughs> and all of that tells us more about your characters, yeah. what their values is and so on. And let's other people react to that. Yeah, I think in summary for Godbound, because this might just turn into a session ragging about Godbound, <laughs> but like, the summary for it is Godbound is very good. It is a good sandbox game. It does fit all those niches very well. Um, it's a, and the book itself is an excellent system agnostic companion to learning how to run a game with like all these different factions vying and consequences. It's a shit ton better than Exalted currently is, and it works. It's probably a very good addition of D&D, like, because that's what it is. It's D&D, yep. guys. It's OSR. It's AD&D. Well, yeah. Um, something we didn't focus on a lot, but the faction turns and problems that your factions yeah. are I like that shit. Yeah, but do you like doing it in between sessions? No, I like doing it in session. <laughs> dealing with like... problems. Dealing with the follow-up. Yeah, like I think, yeah. I think if we ever played Godband again, I would totally be up for a game where we're more playing like social things and we're all having our own little... Little, uh, little faction turns. Do we need to Yeah, exactly. We don't. <laughs> yeah. I might use the, um... Yeah, that faction turn it. thing is great for using in any game. Like, again, yeah. that, the faction turn's agnostic. Same with the Dominion system. The Dominion system isn't tied into the AD&D framework. It's, it's just a system you can use. Yep. Yeah, and also the, um, the thing for creating a religion. I really fucking like that. Yeah, in the lexicon. Uh, in the lexicon, yeah. So I'm definitely going to use that if in any other game my fucking culture that my character's yeah. in has a religion. The lexicon okay. isn't just for the new words and stripes and Godbound listeners. The lexicon has an excellent section at the back that's kind of like half the book that is all about how to do religion in a believable way. Not only how to do religion as like a like a game runner who's like trying to make something up for their world, but also as a player for like something for their character, whether they're at the head of it or they're interacting with it. it it's an excellent tool for building out a believable society like that. And the core book also has that for building out factions and building out other civilizations, building out troubles and conflicts. Like, there's a lot going on in Godbound that really pushes the game forward. And perennially, because it's Kevin Crawford and it's signed nominee, 
it will always be attached to the AD&D framework, and that'll always be a thing. But like, there's not much you can say about it. It's super profitable for him to do that. He makes an actual living using the AD&D framework as the baseline because everyone who plays RPGs knows D&D just a little. Yeah. No, I uh, I've got a group. My other group is a bunch of, of older grognards like me, and uh, getting them to play any any time I bring out like a narrative of the system and say we should play it, it's a hard like they're so it, it's not populist for that way. I was able to get them to play Godbound because it's you know it's based on the OSR like that's the that's what got them willing to look at it. <laughs> What is Grognard? Grognard is a term to being older D&D players who kind of stuck in the past. Okay. That is the nicest way to put it, but there, there's other implications. It's this whole thing. It's not important. It's not part of this conversation. Yeah. <sighs> like, personally, I I would say I liked Godbound, but I think I've grown tired of it. I yeah. think we overexposed Exactly. Exactly. I mean, Maybe we'll come back to it someday, I but mean, not soon. <laughs> not that we said no overexposed. Well, we did. Uh, oh, dude, I did the math. Out of. No, no, uh, well, we did preserve the US, we did the living years, and then we had, what, a year, two years break? No, we, we, we've always been playing God in the background. Out of the 280 some episodes we put out, a solid 140, maybe 100 are Godbound. I mean. I think it's like... Because, like, after Prince of the Universe ended, you have to remember, it was only a couple of months before Kevin launched Living Years. Yes. And while Living Years was going on, there was only a couple of months break after it stopped before we put out Tenberry Blades and Storms of Each Chow. Yeah. And oh, yeah. then we filtered into Evicting Epistle. We I never mean, stopped playing it... Godbound. Mm. <coughs> yeah, also... Since we've played so much, now we feel like all the kinks and all the things, like, oh, now the genes of the bottle is kind of like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the Congenials, that other game I ran that you guys weren't in. I think it would be neat to maybe play a game where you're not actually Godbound, but each person gets to choose one word, and they're, they're people, they're not gods. But they get to choose one word there and kind of the theming yeah. there, there are kind of rules like that in the book. A for heroic mortals and B for um, doing like lesser godbound. Mm-hmm. Like, that sounds like it would be more fun. Like if you say the podcasting and run as heroic mortals, that would be a way different game and so on. So, evicting epistle, anything else to add? Anything we regret not doing something something um, i don't know i mean i it would have been uh nice to sort of look into the effect our cults have long term and like that sort of you know end of video gaming slash epilogue maybe that's a tricky thing we came up with in godbound too where it, transformers also had and so is exalted versus world of darkness oh exalted versus world of darkness we we never got, got away from exalted either <laughs> but um so you have these characters that have these cults and these powers and stuff, but because of the way zoom in and time frames happen, you never really can get away from like spending like an entire week in five sessions in the same week. Like five or ten sessions can go by and you're still in like month one. It's super fucking easy to do that, and then you never see how your cult grows or what the consequences of your actions are. So like that's one of the reasons in Eviction of Epistle I, I, I made a conscious effort to explain to you guys that time is very subjective in the epistle. Yeah, and it passes without any consideration to anything. Yeah. And didn't really and it would never be used to be, you know, a consequence to you guys or to like punish you. 
like, you know, centuries were happening, months were going by, decades were going by. It was just happening like this in between what you were doing. Yep. And that was a way to show your culture's growing. Like, every time you went back to Derek show, it was different. Like, a different yeah. era had taken place there. Sensibilities had changed. And that's not something you get to see in games, usually. And it's because we specifically went out of the way to do it. Yep. Huh. And the only thing maybe left for me to do here would be like, you know, explore Azadel's backstory, but eh, that was pretty much the only thing I wish I could have done, but combat took its, you know, precious time. Yeah, many, many, many sessions of fighting in Nocturnus and in the Paradise and other things. Ah. Oh well. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. Sometimes threads get dropped, unfortunately. Next time we'll use the worldwide wrestling comic rules. I know, right? Fuck. All right. Well, then, no, no other comments, no other final notes. Nope. Nope. I think that was the epistle. I think we all had fun, though, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed the campaign a lot. I'm glad. But I think that's the end of epistle, uh, probably for the time being. I don't think we'll come back. We might, but I think that's a, a wrapped narrative. We ended on character death. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> the heart of the you know pantheon died. Pretty much. <laughs> But I was Devin, Nicole, Tyler, Peter, Mark, and this is sponsored by Nobody, signing off.